Hello, I'm Linda Seif from The Layered Onion. Thank you for joining us. We will be listening to our amazing creators talk about their art and mental health. 48 million artists all over the world share this lived experience. The Layered Onion was formed to create a supportive community, allowing the creators to focus on their art, bringing their work from the shadows to receive the recognition and opportunities they deserve. Each podcast will feature an artist who talks about their creations and mental wellness. Art is healing. We hope these discussions will inspire you to appreciate the stories behind the creations and more importantly, inspire your inner creator. Together, we can tackle the stigma surrounding mental health. Hello, Lauren. I would welcome you to the podcast, and it would be exciting for our listeners if you would introduce yourself, where you're from, and maybe talk a little bit about your different art modalities. Of course. Um, And I do want to say thank you so much, Linda, for inviting me to do the podcast with you. I really appreciate it. Um, But my name is Lauren. I currently live in Denton, Texas. Um, I'm a third year graduate student at the University of North Texas. Um, I consider myself an interdisciplinary artist um, with a focus on photography and fiber arts. Um, I do both of those things separately, and then I also um, combined those two art forms together. Oh, that sounds interesting. We'll go back to that. So one of the things I know you talk about is being a neurodivergent artist. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about your experience or how that plays in the art that you do. Yeah, of course. Um, So I use the term neurodivergent as um, a very wide umbrella term for anyone who has any kind of learning difference or um, cognitive difference along with um, someone who is facing mental health concerns on a personal level. Um, I'm not going to like run through my list of diagnoses or anything like that. Um, But from a very young age, um, I've been facing different challenges related to those things. And my art has given me the wonderful opportunity to explore those different sides of myself and then also learn more about who I am, as well as um, advocate for people who have had similar experiences to me. So one of the things I notice in many of your pieces, not all, but many of your pieces, there is an image of you somewhere in there. In some, like that was in the shallot, it's so muted that you almost don't see it. It's the close-up, it's black and white, it's a side of your face, there's just a hint of your nose, mouth, and eye eye that's, um, you know, present. Others, you can see a little bit more, but you've textured things over the top maybe talk a little bit about how you came to including yourself and how that might play into this idea of as you said with neurodivergency kind of you know learning more about yourself yeah um so in undergrad i when i really started to kind of develop um, my language of art i worked with a very close friend who modeled for me And eventually she moved um, to California, (laughs) Um, which led, like, put me in a position um, to where I didn't have a model. 
And I was like, okay, well, I have myself available. Um, so let's give this a spin. And I really fell in love with self-portraiture work, especially when talking about my own experiences or my own memories. I've always struggled um, to kind of define who I am and the fact that normal people can just be like, yeah, this is the type of person I am um, is absolutely fascinating to me. And so using myself as the model and kind of turning myself into the figure has really allowed me to explore how I move through the world. And I try to always keep my figure somewhat abstracted so that it is approachable. Um, I definitely don't want it to be viewed as like a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I do try to abstract it and keep it approachable. And I think that abstraction allows people to form a stronger relationship with the work because they do recognize the figure, even if they don't know who that figure is. So potentially in someone's mind, it could even be themselves, right? Yeah. 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 So I was really interested in Spiritus, which is in the very first shallot. And the ta- uh, the theme for that shallot was really um, self-discovery. And, uh, well, we called it Portraits of Self. And that piece of yours, as I said earlier, is a real close-up. It's very blurred, but it's in black and white. And, you know, a lot of your pieces are in colored, overlaid with maybe some kind of natural leaves or other mm-hmm. things. And this one, then there's some that are black and white. Can you maybe talk to me a bit about what, um, as you choose black and white over color, and then what you were thinking in particular with this piece? So traditionally, when I started photography, I really loved black and white photography and black and white films specifically. Um, With the facilities that I have access to, black and white is more accessible and it's more cost effective. And so especially when I started uh, my journey in graduate school, I was exclusively using black and white film. I have since switched to using more color um, and that's really been kind of a a push um, from a lot of different directions, but black and white does always and always will hold a really special place in my heart um, because it's just the foundation of, um, you know, the photography medium. With that particular piece, um, during that time, I was exploring a lot of different cameras and which camera um, I worked the best with. And I do really love the antique camera that I used to take that photo. I do my like photography shoots a few different ways. And with that particular one, um, I went back to a place that I often go to when I'm overwhelmed or stressed. Um, And it's a place that helps me kind of like ground myself and reconfigure myself. And so when I am shooting in those places, it is very intuitive and very kind of spontaneous. And um, so that shot was kind of accidental. Um, The way I work, I can't see what the shot is going to end up being. And that one was a um, overwhelming surprise. And it's still one of my favorite pieces that I've taken over the past couple of years. It's so interesting to me that you use film. And because 
as you said, things are a surprise. Now people, you know, maybe we have instant gratification, but we can see an image right away and say, oh, that stinks, delete. Or, yeah, I can see how I would layer this over others. Maybe explain this choice of using uh, film and printing on film and then how you choose to layer it. And then even the idea of using antique cameras. Mm -hmm. So I view within my practice, I view my camera as my companion. Um, I think a lot of photographers would consider it exclusively a tool for the end product. But with what I'm searching for, I try to remove as much direct control as possible from that kind of problem solving or discovery process. And film gives me that. Um, film allows me to commit to an action and commit to emotion or memory and simply push a button. Um, the cameras I use, I don't have to sh like set my shutter speed or my aperture or any kind of like technical execution. Um, it's purely a capture of that moment and that place and that time. And I did, I am proficient in digital photography um, and I have tried that approach with digital photography a few times and it really just gives me too much control. Um, and so the capture of that moment and that chance, I just find endlessly fascinating. So it sounds like for uh, sometimes you then print these mm -hmm. on film and then you look to how you're going to combine them. Is it yes. something, a mood that just kind of takes you or do you see something automatically or do you go in with a mindset? So um, for the process of the film, um, I do have my negatives scanned and then I print them digitally um, with the technology that's just accessible to me that's the uh, most efficient way to do it and then it also gives me the control to adjust um, exposure or anything like that in photoshop so i do have really nice prints <laughs> um, sometimes they do layer photos on top of each other within photoshop everything i do is a really intuitive process so it really is just me looking through my negatives and being like, oh, um, you know, these two, I think, speak to each other. And I'll try to layer them on top of each other. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And so I do very much let the photo itself kind of speak to me and guide me through that process. So this particular photo, Spiritus, was taken on a 1947 Kodak Duraflex six if Duraflex right yes a Duraflex it, camera and maybe you could it, it's how many of these antique cameras do you have oh gosh um I probably own around 10 or so <laughs> ah um I don't use every single one of them consistently. Um, recently, I've really switched to a Holga camera, which is kind of considered like a toy plastic camera. But that Kodak camera that I used is a really lovely camera. And the fact that it still takes really beautiful photos being as old as it is, is just really 
humbling for me, I guess, like the opportunity to get to work with a piece of um, equipment that old. So where did you find, so you just said you you have a, a toy camera. Yeah. So this Holga, where do you find these antique toy cameras? So the antique cameras, a lot of times I can find them at estate sales or um, antique malls. Um, I have to be careful with antique malls because they tend to overprice them a little bit. But estate sales have been really successful for me. I'm also... Very thankful that my dad um, also has a love for photography. So I've also inherited a lot of cameras that he purchased back in the 60s and the 70s. And then Holga cameras, they're actually still making them. Um, So you can purchase them brand new from any kind of like film camera store. But the way that they are made, they're very cheaply made, just cheap plastic. And so each one does have a really kind of like distinct personality um, and shooting style to it. That's so fascinating. Um, Have you found a community that uses antique or tie cameras that you can kind of talk with? I have. um, The film movement in photography, I would say, is stronger than it's ever been. Um, since, you know, when film was the dominant medium, it kind of dropped off in the 90s with the introduction of digital cameras. But there's um, a tremendous global community that um, is still very dedicated to film, um, expired film, antique cameras. And I have been able to connect with a lot of people over Instagram. Um, A lot of the people who enjoy those things tend to be in the northern United States or in Europe. Um, but they've always been really kind and nice and, you know, we chat through Instagram and things like that. So why do you think that is that they're in Europe and Northern? Is it something about the cold versus, you know, why do you think? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because within art mediums, there does tend to be different groups that do tend to be in specific areas. Like I I know that there are other film photographers in Texas, but not to the same extent as those other communities that I've found. Um, It might simply just be from like the immigration patterns of people and those particular people had, you know, the financial resources um, to access those things. Um, Yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of thing. Yeah, I'd never really thought about that before. That that might be an interesting question for me to ask others. So uh, uh, the next question I have is really about your studies with your master's in fine arts. Mm-hmm. And what was your goal or hope as you pursued this, this master's degree? Yeah. Um, so after undergrad, I actually went into the business world and had a very successful career in the business world. I um, worked in commercial printing and managed a team. And even though I had met kind of like, you know, our society's standard rules for success, I was really just absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um And I really think a lot of corporate environments aren't made to foster um, or support people who are neurodivergent or have, um, you know, mental health concerns. And 
I was in the financial position with the support from my partner to pursue graduate school. Um, and it is kind of the best decision that I've ever made for myself. Um, I really enjoy being able to work with other students. Um, I have had the opportunity to teach multiple classes within my program and meeting students who remind me a lot of myself in undergrad and being able to help them in ways that other teachers haven't been able to help them. Um, the fact that so many people just don't know how to explain things differently um, is wild to me. And so being accommodating and being inspiring um, to other students to help them kind of pursue their college you know, career has been really satisfying for me. After graduation, I do hope to move on into higher education and find um, a tenure track position to teach at a college while maintaining my own art practice. If I could have the world, <laughs> um, I would be tenure track um, and I would like gallery representation. I think that would be really meaningful for me. Well, that sounds amazing for sure. So uh, let me kind of ask you, as as you think about um, your art and this, you know, maybe it was fortuitous that your model moved away and you began yeah. to use yourself as a model. Maybe you could kind of delve in, especially when I hear that thread back to working with students of the healing part of art. Yes. And talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think art allows on a personal level for us to be really vulnerable with ourselves. And art also allows us to make an object that then exists outside of us that we can then reflect on. Um, so I have a, a particular fiber piece that I kind of made in the moment and I didn't understand what I was making but I was just going through the motions. And then when the piece was finished, I was able to step back and be really vulnerable with myself and remember moments specifically from childhood. And um, I really struggled with language um, growing up. Um, I went through dyslexic tutoring and everything like that. And so uh, language arts was always an incredibly frustrating thing for me. And being able to see that I turned, you know, those memories and feelings of fr frustration into an object kind of allowed me to process that, which um, I'm a huge advocate for therapy, but also, you know, making something that you can then see and, you know, kind of remove it from yourself, I also think is really impactful. Ideas of vulnerability are just consistent within my work. I think as humans, being vulnerable with other humans is so important and so healing and allows us as a society to be better. And so a lot of the projects that I do assign to my students do encourage vulnerability and reflection. And um, my favorite thing is anytime a student tells me this is really hard. <laughs> They'll be like, I've never had to make anything like this before. And then by the end of the project, they're incredibly proud of themselves and have been able to kind of push themselves in a direction 
and be supported in an environment where they have the opportunity to explore those things about themselves. And so, yeah, I think vulnerability and communicating that vulnerability is just really important and something that I'm really passionate about. Well, that's that's really amazing because the support part is what's critical. And frankly, what we hear a lot about being part of the Layered Onion community is the support. Yeah. And knowing that you can talk to others that have sort of like-minded experiences. Um, let me ask you a little bit about, there is a fiber art period piece on your Instagram. And I find that particular piece, and I don't, it says suspended woven structure. I don't know that you have a name for it. Yes. That piece to me just really is fascinating as you go down about, I don't know, two thirds. There's one area that just sort of hangs separate from the, the base as it goes down to the base. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's pieces along the side. Yes. Was there, it's, you know, I'm, I'm struck by that. Was there anything that you were thinking about when you had that? sort of area that just kind of you know suspends separately uh so that's really interesting because that's actually the piece that i the fiber piece i was talking about a little while ago um that for me very much expresses frustration um that piece specifically i had tried a new weaving technique that i was not prepared to try <laughs> um it was i very much you know kind of shot for the moon and um it wasn't going the way that i wanted it to which made ended up making me very frustrated and so i created that piece within a place of frustration and with my fiber pieces i i love the way string responds to action and confrontation and so I do let the string kind of behave how it wants to behave. And so really, I had an idea for the shape and I kind of created the shape, but then the string made the decision to kind of fall that way. Um, and so I, I let it exist the way that it wanted to exist. Well, I love that among the string, there's some is, I don't know if it's thread, but the yeah. black mm -hmm. um, that is more prevalent at the top and much less so as you go down to the floor. Yes. And I sort of, for me, it's almost like you're peeling away the layers. Yeah. As you get down. And then on the floor where you have some of the string, it's almost like those are sloughed away pieces of, yourself maybe things that were important that that are no longer important now i know that art is interpretation that might not at all be what you were thinking but that's what kind of came to my mind no that's really lovely i do i do see a lot of my woven structures as um like myself or my body they tend to be about the size of like my torso at least um so i think that's a really lovely interpretation well, you know, and that's part of why we chose uh, the layered onion and the symbol, the onion, and our logo has pieces sloughing off because we have all parts of ourselves. And, you know, we have some that is, you know, like the onion that are still full of sort of juice and 
or not ready and then you have parts that you know just are sloughing off etc that maybe they served a purpose but they're not as important anymore um so the symbol really was was meaningful for us as we picked it maybe you could talk a little bit about what had what uh sort of interested you in the layered onion community so especially when i came to graduate school there was a lot of like searching (laughs) um for what i wanted to be as an artist and what i wanted my art to represent and specifically in higher education environments you're always asked you know like why is your art contemporary who does your art represent who does your art speak to um and so i just trying to be very specific about that these are my experiences i don't want i don't want to put words in other people's mouths but i was consistently amazed at the people who connected to my work and really started thinking about how my art could help other people who have had experiences like mine and I think through that research, um, I want to say Instagram actually, like as a sponsored ad, <laughs> recommended the Layered Onion. And um, especially at that moment in my artistic journey, I was like, oh, this like this is it. You know, like these are the people that I want to connect with and learn from and hear from. And so I joined the organization and it's been a phenomenal experience um the amount of support that y'all have offered me in so many different facets has been fantastic and then the opportunity to learn from so many of the other artists who are also working with y'all has been just really inspiring yeah community has been really just the critical piece that we hear over and again so and and really it was the community who came up with the idea for the shallot the journal really this idea that we should have a place where we had an intersection of art and healing and mental health and really as an educational tool and sort of you know kind of i don't know putting a stake in the ground yeah so, yeah, so it, that's exciting. Well, I have to tell you, Lauren, I love your work, and, and I find your fiber art really interesting. The basket weaving, the different... Uh, you have one piece that, that uh, it must be on the wall, but it's different colors. It's black and white, and a lot of circular kind of... Yes, yep. D- it doesn't seem like you name everything. Is that true? Um, I, the pieces, most of the pieces that I, I'm so awful at social media. <laughs> um, the pieces that I post to my Instagram are pieces that I normally submit to galleries. Uh, and so I do have names for them, but I normally forget to put the names in the Instagram <laughs> captions. <laughs> Um, so yeah, most of my pieces, if I do consistently use them, I do end up naming them. Um, I actually normally name all of my pieces, um, Latin in Latin. Um, but yeah, that, that basketry piece is 
a piece that I want to revisit one day. It's just so time consuming. I haven't had the opportunity to make something else like it. Yeah, well, it is quite, it's lovely. Thank you. Absolutely yeah. lovely. I, I'm a person who really loves texture, and I think that's why I was drawn to your photography as well, because it just, with the layering, you just feel the texture mm-hmm. and the depth. Yeah. That That's a big thing for me, for sure. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. But I have one last question. Do you have any wisdom that you would depart for a lived experience artist? Oh, goodness. Um, I would say be your authentic self, which I know sounds really trite um, and it can be incredibly scary. But the most positive connections that I've fostered within art communities is because I made the decision to just show up and be myself. And so I think people underestimate the value of that authenticity. And so really just dedicating yourself to that. Great advice. Kind of, as you said, sometimes tough to do. And it's a great way to do it in a community that's supportive out of the shoot and then feel a little bit more um, confident to be broader. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Well, thanks, Lauren, for joining us. And I really hope we see more of your pieces in the shallot or in one of our our gallery expositions. Um, I know you had one in one of ours, but we'd love to see some more. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. It is an honor to talk with these amazing creators. You can see and read the artist's work in the shallot our Journal of Mental Health, Art, and Literature, or on our website, thelayeredonion.com. Thank you. A